Hi there, everyone, and welcome to the first ever, the inaugural Exponentialist Ask Me Anything. A huge welcome to all of you. Because this is the first one, you will know this, we've done something really special and opened this Ask Me Anything to everyone across the platform. But of course, a huge and special hello and welcome to those of you who've already joined the Exponentialist. I just, as I've said countless times now, I am so excited about the journey we're all going to go on from here. But let's think about today. The purpose of these Ask Me Anythings is for me to talk a little bit about the monthly essay, the big ideas that I've written about this month. And then, of course, even more important, to talk to you. So I want to use these sessions, yes, to give a summary of the core argument that I'm making this month in the essay, to give a bit of behind the scenes thinking, to give you a bit of the journey that I went on to get to the ideas, to get to the framework or the thesis that I want to argue for this month, um, to go deeper in places if that's necessary. But then, of course, primarily to talk to you, to hear from you, because as, as I've always said, from the earliest days of putting this thing together with Rao, it's the conversation we can build around the exponentialist that is so hugely exciting to me. Speaking of Raoul, I know that when he doesn't ask me anything, he likes to have a drink, maybe two. I'm steering clear of alcohol for my first ask me anything. I've got tea instead because I am so profoundly British and tea is the British answer to everything. Uh, so look, hearing from you is key. As I said in the essay, think of the monthly essays as the campfires we gather around. And these ask me anything as the conversation we're going to have. Um, and over time, we can find lots of new ways to expand that conversation. There's going to be a special exponentialist community where we can all chat on the platform. That's coming. We'll think of other ideas. But these Ask Me Anythings will always be the core of the conversation, too. And there's obviously a huge amount of knowledge and insight and profoundly interesting careers and life paths out there in the exponentialist community. I mean, I can see the amazing people joining it every day. Uh, and I want us all to be able to access that. I want us all to be able to talk to one another, to learn from one another, to go on this journey together. Like as we're endlessly saying, we're all beginners in this new world we're building. Collectively, we can face the tsunami of change that is coming better than we can individually. So I want us all to be able to access that. And of course, that aligns with Real Vision's broader mission when it comes to community and network. So that's what we have in store, talking about the essay, and then we'll move to questions. Let me talk first a bit about the essay and to give you, uh, like I said, a behind the scenes look at some of my thought process that brought me to the essay, and then we can dive into the core argument. Because the truth is I reflected for a huge amount of time about what the subject of this first essay should be. Uh, and that story just, you know, I can tell it very briefly, but it really helps contextualize everything we're doing here. The reason that Raoul and I built The Exponentialist and this journey we're going to go on. There were so many directions I could take for the first essay. You will know that you've heard it often enough. The Exponential Age is about multiple technology revolutions all happening at once and all overlapping with the, with one another and interacting with one another. 
Raoul calls it the biggest change to, to his macro framework, which he's obviously been building for decades. The biggest change to his macro framework that he's seen in his lifetime. Just a wave of change, the like of which we've never seen before. That's the fundamental thought at the heart of the exponentialist and the exponential age thesis. And we're on a mission to understand what that all means. You know, yes, to profit from it as investors, but what it means for us as human beings, as professionals, what it means for our careers, for our futures, for our families, for our children. Yes, profit, but how do we flourish in this new world we're building too? So amid all that, what do I choose for the first essay? I want the first essay to set the scene, to set the foundations for this journey we're going to go on. And the essay that I came to is an essay that delivers a framework that I call electricity and magic. And some of you will know this because you'll have read the essay already. Electricity and magic is about delivering a big picture, overarching framework for understanding AI and understanding how AI, how machine intelligence will manifest and the role that it will play in our shared future and in the exponential age. Yes, the exponential age is about multiple overlapping technology revolutions. But the reason I wanted to zero in on AI for this first essay is because there's something special, and we all sense this, there's something special about machine intelligence. It's a kind of meta technology that's woven through everything that helps guide everything else in the exponential age. So if we're going to understand the decades ahead, if we're going to understand the exponential age thesis, we need to build that on a foundation of some understanding of AI and machine intelligence and what it means and how it will show up in the world around us in the exponential age in the years ahead. And remember, with this essay, and I'll come back to this point soon, you know, I'm building frameworks and ideas in these first essays, you know, the first few essays of the exponentialist building frameworks and ideas that we'll come back to time and again on our journey and we'll build on them and build on them over time. But we need to set a foundation and understanding machine intelligence, understanding AI is so profoundly important to that foundation, to everything else that's going to happen. So that's why I wanted to write about this framework, Electricity and Magic, for the first essay in The Exponentialist. This is where it'd be handy for me to share some slides because I want to get in briefly to the core argument. Just take us all on a tour of the core of the electricity and magic framework. I hope that will be useful. Um, and then we can get into some questions. So let me do a little bit of magic myself and share my screen and we can continue from there. So yeah, look, this is the mission I wanted to go on with the first essay. How can we understand machine intelligence, how it will manifest, the role it will play in the years ahead? We're not talking here about the realms of um, technical understanding, technical understanding of how AI works. We will do plenty of that in essays to come. We can drill down into some of the mathematics, essentially, behind how AI works and make that accessible. But here I'm talking about conceptual understanding. I'm really talking about model building. How can we build a model, a framework that allows us to understand how AI will manifest 
in the years ahead. Um, and the generative AI revolution that we're living through makes that even more challenging and confusing because we all see AI doing incredible things across the last couple of years, things we never expected AI to do, you know, creating incredible works of art, incredible images, music, even films. Uh, we're at the beginning of text to film models. Um, on the other hand, you have AI doing very practical things. You have AI driving autonomous vehicles, uh, navigating robots through complex environments and solving Rubik's cubes. So how do we understand a force like that? It's like an alien force. I mean, some people have compared it to the to the rise of machine intelligence, essentially to a, to a kind of alien invasion. Um, and perhaps there's something to that. We can think about that more deeply in future installments. What really is AI? What is machine intelligence at the deepest level? How should we best understand it? That is the challenge I wanted to look at. And to skip to the very end, and I've already given this away, the framework for understanding my answer to that question is this framework, electricity and magic. So what do I mean by electricity and magic? That's what I want to spend a few minutes on. And of course, if you want the deep answer and the full answer, go and read the essay. It's all in the essay. I can't get into every twist and turn here. I just want to spend a few minutes giving the core ideas. So to understand the electricity and magic framework for AI, first we need to understand the most simple, the most fundamental model that Raoul and I use to understand the exponential age. This really is a baseline, extremely simple model. It's a layer model of the exponential age, and you can see it on your screen here. We've built this layer model to help structure our thinking about exponential age technologies and about what's coming. And as you can see, there's four layers. The foundation layer is all about the infrastructural technologies of the exponential age. And we typically call those energy, data, and compute power. Those are forms of infrastructure that will fuel everything that's happening in the world around us in the decades ahead. Then there's the productivity layer. There are tools. There are the things that allow us to enhance our scientific understanding, to be more productive, to grow the economy, to do more. That's what the pro productivity layer is about. There's the value layer, which are the exponential age technologies that are going to transform the way we store value and we share value. And ultimately, they'll change the way we think about value. And of course, primarily, we're talking there about the blockchain revolution. And then there's the human layer. There's how this is going to impact on individual human beings, on all of us collectively, um, our careers, our lives, our health and wellness, you know, our own bodies. How is this playing out for us as human beings? Now, look, where does AI fall in that simple model? At first glance, we had it originally in the foundation layer. Sorry, in the productivity layer. We had AI in the productivity layer. We were modeling AI as most people model it, as the mainstream models it, as a tool. This thinking is, okay, how should we best understand AI? How's it going to manifest in the world around us in the years ahead? Well, it's a tool. AI is a tool, among other tools, that will allow us to do more. It will unlock new forms of scientific understanding. 
Um, it will allow us to perform new kinds of complex tasks, 3D printing. It will grow the economy in those ways. It, you know, it will do knowledge work for us, all of that. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, it, in many ways, AI will manifest as a tool in the years ahead. But we all know that doesn't quite capture the entire picture. Intuitively, we can feel there's something more to AI than just a tool. Other tools, for example, can't build new versions of themselves. You know, this, this thing, as I say in the essay, is a wonderful tool, but a phone is never going to design and build me a better phone. We also don't think that, you know, any other tools are going to suddenly uh, determine goals of their own or start nuclear wars or enslave us or all of that. I mean, all of that's extremely far-fetched talk in my view at the moment. But there's something different about AI. It's best understood not as a tool, but as something else. I think we can all intuitively sense that. Modeling it as a tool just doesn't quite work. So what is it then? What is AI then? We're still stuck with the original question. How should we best understand AI? How will it manifest in the exponential age? To answer that, you need really to take a step back and ask yourself, well, what is, if we're trying to answer the question, how will machine intelligence manifest? What really is it? We need some form of answer to the question, what is intelligence? That is, as you all know, a highly contentious, highly, <clears throat> excuse me, contested question. There is, there's really no consensus answer to what intelligence is, even among cognitive scientists, among biologists, among philosophers. But here's a, here's, a, here's a definition that serves our purposes, that aligns, I think, with, with most mainstream thinking on this question, and that, that makes sense. Intelligence is what does useful work on information. Intelligence is the ability to do useful work on information. That's my definition, my working definition of intelligence. And when you understand that definition of intelligence, you take a step closer to understanding how machine intelligence, how AI will manifest, how it will show up in the world around us in the exponential age. The reason this definition is so important, intelligence does useful work on information, can be summed up essentially with this chart. Look at what's happening to information in the exponential age. This is a classic exponential age curve of the kind, you know, we'll look at lots of them in the months ahead. Data in the years ahead is set to go exponential. Data creation is going exponential. Uh, this is the mainstream forecast, but there are great analysts, um, Tim Davies, who's been on the Real Vision platform a few times, who, who think this estimate is a vast underestimate. Even these numbers are hugely underestimated. Data creation is going to explode. Um, and why is that? The reason is that we're weaving a layer of data, a layer of information through everything in the world around us. So the data is essentially leaving the confines of the digital realm of our computers 
and going out into the world around us. And we're weaving through sensors, through microchips, we're weaving a layer of data, a layer of information through every building, every vehicle, every sidewalk and lamppost, every object, you know, hundreds of billions of connected objects coming, every person, because so many people are, are, are have a wearable device now. We're weaving a layer of information and data through everything. And the result is a super network that's blinking into life around us, a connected world, a world that's far more connected even than the world we live in now. What is this really? This is about the deep merging of information and physical reality, the deep merging of the realm of bits with that of atoms. And this is a profound phenomenon of its own that underpins so much of the nature of the exponential age. It's the emergence of what I call the unified digital physical field. And I'm going to be writing a lot more about this and talking a lot more about it to all of you in the months ahead, because this deep merging of information and physical reality, I think, is a profoundly important dimension of the exponential age. Um, it, it's kind of the final innovation platform. We're going to see a huge wave of innovation built on this platform itself. Anyway, you have the emergence of the unified digital physical field. You have information now as part of the physical world around us because of connected buildings, connected cars, connected sidewalks, hundreds of billions of connected objects, connected people, all in this super network. Now we're another step closer to understanding the role that machine intelligence plays. Because what role does machine intelligence play in that environment, in that super network? Well, when information becomes, this is the answer I came to. This is the fundaments of the conceptual framework that I'm putting forward in the essay, is this idea. When information becomes a part of the physical world around us, when you have this deep merging of the realm of information and the physical world, then AI, machine intelligence, becomes something akin to a new form of fuel that helps power everything. AI becomes something akin to a new form of electricity that helps power everything happening in that unified digital physical field. Just as real physical power, physical energy, does work on physical mass in the unified digital physical field, so machine intelligence does useful work on the information that is part of that field. And together, they drive everything. You know, hundreds of millions of autonomous vehicles, billions of robots, every connected city, every wearable device, every connected object. They're being fueled by, yes, of course, energy, which has to fuel everything, but also by machine intelligence, which fuels the machine, the, the informational aspect of all of this. Now, that is really a, a new, admittedly a non-standard um, and something of a head-spinning idea because we're used to thinking of intelligence very differently. We're used to thinking of intelligence as something sort of rare and abstract and the preserve of we human beings, you know, something that makes we human beings special, only we have intelligence in its highest form. Um, 
What I'm saying is in the exponential age, intelligence becomes abundant and it becomes infrastructural. It becomes a form of power that helps fuel everything going on above it. And so it belongs, to take us back to the original model I showed you, not in the productivity layer as a tool. And we talked about why modeling it as a tool doesn't really make sense. It belongs in the foundation layer alongside energy, data, and compute. Intelligence, I think, is part of the foundation layer of the exponential age. Intelligence in the exponential age becomes a form of infrastructure that helps power everything. Getting your head around the implications of that is really difficult. I haven't done it. I, I mean, no one's done it. I think conceptually that model is deeply powerful in helping us to make sense of where we're heading and of the role machine intelligence plays in that. But getting your head truly around the implications of it is really difficult. You see this come to life when, for example, you look at the emergence of the kind of useful humanoid robots that we're going to see all around us pretty soon. I mean, this robot is not particularly humanoid, but this is a this is a robot from Alphabet's um, Everyday Robots division. And essentially, they've they've what they've done is they've unified robotics technology with a large language model, which means the robot can understand natural language and respond to natural language instructions like, oh, I've spilled my Coke. You know, will you will you tidy it up for me? Just something that natural, that intuitive to say, this robot can understand it and it can take a series of actions that will tidy your coke up, clear up the mess for you. Now, look, obviously physical energy in the form of a, you know, coming from a battery is powering this robot. Uh, machine intelligence is in some sense powering it too. It's powering the informational aspect of what's happening here. And this is a great example of, of the unified digital physical field. You have the deep merging of information of bits and of atoms all coming together in this, this machine, this robot. Uh, just one tiny example of what I'm talking about. There is, as I wrote about in the essay, another even deeper manifestation of the infrastructural role that intelligence will play um, in the exponential age. And that's the role it will play in the energy network itself. This is the part of the essay that spurred um, some of the most interesting comments in uh, on the platform. And we'll, we'll come to some of those comments and some of those questions that you've sent in very soon. But the fundamental thought there is, without getting too detailed, and you know, again, go and read the essay for all the, all the details and the entire argument, the fundamental thought there is, look, we are moving directionally towards a global energy system that is more founded in renewables, particularly solar and wind. And what you have there are all kinds of challenges. As pe some people said in the comments, you know, you have intermittency, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. Um, you have the need for storage. You have all kinds of new challenges. You end up with a highly connected, smart um, energy grid that is based on energy plants, but also energy resources at the edge, you know, solar panels on roofs and all of that stuff, streaming a tsunami of data just every second into the cloud. The only way 
that we can manage that is, well, essentially the answer is we can't manage it. The only way that can be managed is via machine intelligence. Only machine intelligence can handle, can make possible the kind of highly interconnected, highly variable, um, intermittent prone global energy system that we are moving towards. And so what you end up with is a situation where energy and AI fall into this deeply symbiotic relationship. Because of course, AI is very energy intensive. But the answer to that, I think, is going to be more AI. More AI will allow us to manage an interconnected energy system based on renewables. More energy will power more AI. More AI will allow us to power more energy and so on. And what you end up with is this relationship. I call it the AI energy flywheel. And this is a hugely important symbiotic relationship in the exponential age. This technology relationship, in my view, this deeply symbiotic relationship between real physical energy and AI, which becomes akin to a form of energy in the unified digital physical field, this deeply symbiotic relationship is the technology relationship at the heart of the exponential age. It might just be, and this is a bold thing to say, and we're gonna, <laughs> there's lots of time to talk about it in the months and years ahead, and we're going on a long journey where everything I say can be challenged. It might just be the most important technology relationship ever, perhaps, to be discussed, but it's profoundly important. And look, lots of people, well, not lots of people, so, some people have made extremely good points around nuclear. Uh, why isn't nuclear uh, a part of this picture? I mean, the answer, the, the short answer it is, is it is. It is, it is in my head, a part of this picture. And we've got some questions about that. So I'll leave that actually for now. We can talk a bit about that during the questions. That is the electricity half of the framework, just super quickly. So AI becomes a form of infrastructure that powers everything. It becomes itself akin to a form of energy, which is a head spinning idea. Just super quickly, the other half of the framework is, of course, the magic half. Uh, what is the magic half about? Well, the magic half of this framework is about saying, look, you know, we've set up the electricity half, but actually in our daily lives, day to day, as we go about our lives, we go about our work and so on, AI won't particularly manifest that way to us. It will perform that role, but that role will fade into the background, you know, a, a hundreds of millions of autonomous vehicles and billions of robots and connected factories and all of that will hum and buzz and whir about their work. And we won't really pay any attention unless something goes wrong. It will, it will just operate and we will let it operate. The things we will focus on, the things that will, that will draw our attention when it comes to AI will be entirely different. They will be AI manifesting not as something akin to a form of energy as something infrastructural but as something akin to magic and you see that happening now with this incredible generative ai revolution like i said at the top of the call you know you see you see ai now doing things that even 2 3 years ago hardly anyone was dreaming about you know incredible text to image models producing beautiful images that can stand on their own terms as works of art in some cases or are incredibly photorealistic. 
We're now on the verge of simple but improving text to world models. So you're going to be able to describe an immersive 3D world and AI will just generate that world around you. And imagine that when augmented reality and virtual reality technologies are really compelling and really usable. You know, we're taking a step closer with the Apple Vision Pro headset coming soon, but we're still not there yet. We will get there. Imagine when VR and AR is super compelling, really photorealistic, and you can just create an entire 3D reality around yourself simply by describing it. That is magic. That will be AI manifesting as a form of magic in your life. Um, we'll see AI reincarnate um, superstars and media stars and actors and singers who've long since passed away. Um, we get a taste of that now via kind of deep fake technology. I mean, in the essay, I talk a little bit about this deep fake Elvis TikTok account. I'm a big Elvis fan, so it's the one I noticed. Um, and Rao has talked about, of course, you know, the flip side of this, which is the, some of the deep problems that deep fake technology is set to cause. We're going to see a get a taste of that, as Rao said, in the election, US election year next year. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see... Whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holes barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Where does this head? Where we'll, we'll see the emergence of AI entities that essentially become companions to people, become like a guide, a counsellor, a philosopher, a friend in your pocket 24-7 that knows everything about you, that's always there to talk, that has a conversational style that's one you really enjoy. All of that, the emergence of these kinds of virtual companions is something I've been talking about for years. And again, we really feel it happening now with large language models. In fact, you can already see these kind of virtual companions entering the mainstream even now. This is Mark Zuckerberg at Connect, Meta Connect, just a couple of months ago, announcing a range of AI fueled characters, you know, underlain by Meta's Llama 2 large language model based on real celebrities like Mr. Beast and Snoop Dogg and so on. So AI entities that are there on your phone, inside WhatsApp, inside Instagram, there to talk to you whenever you want. You can chat to them. They become something akin to a friend. Again, this is AI manifesting as a form of magic. And the big point I want to make with this. There's two big points. The first is just look at the, the two sides of the coin when it comes to the way machine intelligence will manifest in the exponential age. It will manifest as something akin to a new form of electricity, a new form of energy, a form of infrastructure. It will also manifest as a form of magic. The second thing is when it comes to the magic side, 
people, the big fear right now and the mainstream response to the, the magic examples I've just given tends to be to say, oh, well, this is terrible because what it's going to do is diminish the value of us as human beings and virtual companions will mean that you know, we're diminishing the value of real human friendship and we're diminishing the value of real human creativity because if you can just generate a painting or a book on tap just by describing it, you know, this is all very depressing and human beings are going to be sort of pushed to the side by, by this technology. I understand that thought. Uh, it's a natural thought and a natural response. And look, if those things were true, they would be terrible. I, I'm not I'm not trying to argue that, yes, that's going to happen, but it doesn't matter. What I'm arguing is that actually, look, the reverse, precisely the opposite is true. In an environment where all the things we've talked about become, as I've said in previous conversations, a form of tap water, become completely commoditized when you can generate a thousand beautiful images just by describing them in five minutes, or you can create a five minute animated film, or there's a virtual companion in your pocket always there to talk to you, you know, fueled by a large language model. What is truly left then? What is truly valuable? What is truly rare? The answer to that is you, essentially. Human beings is what I mean. Machines and machine intelligence will be able to do all kinds of incredible things for us. Pictures, you know, films, companionship, and so on. What an AI, what a machine can never do boils down in the end then to one simple thing, and that is be a person, be a human being. And we human beings will always want other human beings to talk to, to see us, to share our experiences. That is just a deep, innate part of our eternal human nature. And that will be, under some thinking, all that's left that's truly rare, all that's left that hasn't been commoditized by this long journey with machine intelligence that can turn everything else that we do into a form of technique, into something a machine can do. The only thing that's left at the end is what a machine can never do, which is be a person. So being with others will be all that's left that hasn't been commoditized. And look, this isn't just a philosophical point I'm making. This will have profound implications for the economy. This will reshape the nature of work. It will change what we mean by the word work. It will reshape the economy too. Uh, because I think new forms of being with one another and truly seeing one another and listening to one another will become a bigger and bigger and bigger part of the economy. And look, I think you see that already starting to happen with the rise of YouTubers and the and the, the teenage dream of being a YouTuber. What are those YouTubers doing? They're essentially being people who are there for, there to entertain, to see, to hear, to listen to other people. And that is, I think, just a tiny glimpse in its embryonic stages of where more and more and more of the economy is going. So look, remember, like I said, this talk, this description of the essay just scratches the surface really of the essay. If you want the entire electricity and magic framework and you want to dive into the details, go and read the essay, of course. And, you know, it's also really important to say the essay 
itself just scratches the surface of what we need to understand about machine intelligence. As I said right at the beginning, with this, with these first essays, I'm building big foundational models, big foundational ideas that I will return to time and time again in the months, in the years ahead. And we will build on those foundations and then we'll go on to drill down deeper into specifics, into specific technologies, uh, into specific companies even, even specific divisions inside companies to really try to understand what is it they are doing? Where are they trying to lead us? Are they going to be successful? Are they not going to be successful? All of that lies ahead, but we need to start with a foundation, a foundational set of ideas. And that's what I'm trying to build in these first few essays. We're all beginners, as I said, again, in this new world, and the journey is going to be very long. Now, with that said, that is enough talking from me, or there's going to be more talking from me, but that's enough monologuing from me. Let's have a look at some questions. Um, and to do that, I'm going to stop sharing my screen because we don't need to see my slides anymore. So I believe I've stopped sharing. There we are. Let me close this because we don't need that open. Um, okay, now let's have a look at some questions. And I see that we've got lot. We've got lots of questions, which is great. Um, so let's start with some that were sent in. Um, here's a here's a good one. Uh, I like the idea that the convergence of AI and energy. I like the idea of the convergence of AI and energy. But I noticed that nuclear energy is not really part of your framework. Can you elaborate on why? Um, there's another part of this question. So let me handle the first part first. Yeah, look, and a couple of people picked up on this in the comments. Um, nuclear is a part of my energy framework, for sure. I, th I think that nuclear will play uh, a key role in what is coming. I think it it needs to. Um, there's a few things to say about energy, and this will help deal with some of the other, a couple of the other questions on energy. You know, energy discussion tends to become, can become sometimes a little fraught, can get bound up in politics. I'm not really, I don't, I'm trying to take a step back from politics and look at what is set to happen, uh, what will happen. And then, of course, we're in the realms of probabilities and probabilistic models you know no one absolutely knows for sure but nuclear yes i think will of course has to be part of the global energy system i think it i think absolutely right it will be a growing part um again that question is political you know germany want to move or have moved away from it but i don't think that changes the fundamental idea in play here that Look, renewables are going to be a bigger slice of the global energy network, a bigger slice of electricity generation than they are today. They're going to be a bigger slice in 30 years. I think directionally that is that is overwhelmingly likely. And then what you end up with is a highly complex, interconnected, networked energy system and you will have lots of renewable resources on the edge, you know, solar panels on roofs and wind, wind turbines on roofs and all of that. And only AI can manage that. So you do end up with this deeply symbiotic relationship between AI and physical energy itself. And that relationship is fundamental 
sits at the very bedrock, as it were, of the exponential age. Um, but look, fusion, you know, incredible things are happening with fusion when it comes to nuclear. Things are happening in the lab now with fusion that were not happening 12, 24 months ago. Things that some people said were never going to happen. So it is an incredible time there too. And for sure, I will be drilling down. You know, I need to start with a big piece on, on fusion, I think, and then drill down into the technologies and some of the companies in that space, because that is a fascinating journey all of its own. Very quickly, the second half of this question. I wonder how plausible the 2035 deadline is. This is something I talk about in the essay for the peak of fossil fuels. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I think that it, that that it's entirely possible, perhaps likely that that is an optimistic time frame because I think there's political pressure to deliver optimistic time frames. I'm not wedded that this model isn't wedded to that particular time frame. I think it's wedded it's wedded to an idea of where are we heading directionally. But it wouldn't surprise me if fossil fuels don't peak in 2035. Sure. Um, okay. Look, question number two, and this is one I can do quickly. Um, this one's from Patrick Daly. Is ARC a recommended holding for proper exposure to the coming exponential run? Uh, this is one for Raoul, but essentially, um, you know, you're going to see my first conversation with Raoul next week, and then part of the exponentialist will be uh, a monthly get together with me and Raoul. Obviously, and ask me everything every month, but a monthly get together with me and Raoul where we can talk about, talk more deeply about these kinds of questions. You know, my my world is is deep reflection on technology and the implications and manifestations of technology. Um, Kathy Wood, to me, is someone who, you know, I feel I feel has a deep understanding and sympathy towards the exponential age thesis. Do you want to invest in ARC now or not? You know, what's the story there? This is something for Raoul and Julian to look at. Um, and of course, I should also say, you know, the part of the exponentialist that you haven't all seen yet is the portfolio, the basket that Julian is developing, Julian works with Raoul, that Julian is developing that we're going to roll out really soon. So Raoul and that basket, that portfolio will help answer some of these kinds of questions. Um, okay, let's move on to another question. So Lance Holton says, He's a bit skeptical about renewables. Could you help me understand how wind and solar exist without fossil fuels to create and maintain the infrastructure and mine the metals for battery storage? Yeah, again, I mean, I don't I think that I think essentially that is right. Fossil fuels are going to play a huge role in the creation of solar panels and wind farms and all the rest of it. But directionally, we're going to head to a place where fossil fuels are playing a smaller role in the global energy system. And if we get to a place where, you know, one of the primary roles they're playing is to build the solar panels, to build the wind farms and all of that, that's if that is a significant chunk of our fossil fuel usage, which, of course, it isn't at the moment. Um, that's a profound rebalancing of the global energy system. Yeah, I mean, if you're saying in 20, 30 years, we're still going to be using fossil fuels, I, I wholeheartedly agree. But the balance is going to change. And again, direction, you end up with this interconnected, very complex global energy system that needs AI to manage it. Um, ben Stevens, 
where can I get some exposure to smaller non-listed companies at the forefront of this area, at the forefront of the exponential age, essentially? Um, maybe you can add something to your monthly essay or as part of your monthly conversation with Rao. Well, as I said earlier on, yeah, exactly that. We're, you know, the monthly conversation with Rao will encompass this kind of thing. There's the portfolio. Of course, that's all listed stuff. I am extremely interested, and so is Rao, in looking at ways that we can think about together how can we invest in the exponential age in, in ways beyond listed companies. Probably shouldn't be saying this. I'm going to get into trouble when I talk about what we have in store. But we're thinking deeply about that kind of stuff. Stay tuned. Of course, we're in the very early days of the exponentialist right now. This is the first ever, the first ever month. But we are going to think about what we can do there because there are ways to invest in this beyond just listed companies, of course. And it would be fun and it would be profitable to be thinking about all of that. So thank you, Ben Stevens, for that question. Um, Dan McGrath, do you see decentralized AI on the horizon anytime soon? Yes. And that is a that again is a profoundly important dimension of the machine intelligence story. You know, I'm I'm establishing here an underlying framework for thinking about how machine intelligence will manifest in the years and in the decades ahead. Um, there are huge questions then about who controls machine intelligence uh, and how distributed is it? At the moment, you have something of a, you have kind of two big models, really. And there's, you know, I, I, I kind of think it's funny and it's it's also interesting for a computer nerd that there's, there's still that analog there with that old kind of closed ecosystem, Apple closed ecosystem, PC open ecosystem, debate because you have two big models you have you know uh, of how this might play out you have a model where you're going to see huge concentrations of centralized power in a few big technology companies like meta and google and openai slash microsoft um, or you can have a future where you have hugely distributed open source ai you have ai for the people essentially um, and you have companies there like uh, you know, Stable Diffusion and Emma Mostak, who Raoul has had on, on the platform a couple of times, arguing that what we need to do is build open source AI models, give them to the people, allow people to fine tune their own models, to, to, to develop and cultivate, cultivate machine intelligence in their own ways. Um, otherwise, we're going to end up with concentrations of power that are deeply unhealthy socially. And I do think we're going to, that's going to be a battle. Um, and it's not going to be a quick one. So we are going to see, you know, open source AI uh, and stability. Stable diffusion is going to play a big role in that. And it will be really interesting to see how that plays out. And again, it's it's one for me to it's it's one to drill down on in future. You know, we need to get Emard back on the platform. We need to learn more about what's happening in Stable Diffusion and some of the other big open source players when it comes to machine intelligence. So yeah, definitely one to dive into. Um, there's some questions here about what's the allocation of your investment portfolio. As I say, we're going to roll out the investment portfolio soon. As Rao said, look, it's not a trading service. This isn't the exponentialist isn't about being a trading service, but it's about how to position yourself for the secular and the cyclical trends. 
Um, so I hope that's going to be really valuable to you. Daniel Meyer, what are the potential ethical implications of exponential advancements in artificial intelligence? And how is the exponential age transforming the job market? What skills will be most valuable in this new era? I mean, we could, yeah, that's a whole show in itself. Huge ethical implications around machine intelligence. It's a complex, tangled world uh, of ethical implications. I talked a bit about what I think at the deepest level will happen when it comes to work and the job market. In my view, we're on a long journey through procedural technique, machines and technology, and in particular now machine intelligence, are eating every domain of human activity and turning it into a form of technique that machines can do. And that is now reaching domains of human activity that we never expected it would reach, like creating images, creating films, creating music. What is left at the end of that long road? What's left in the end is being human. What can never be turned into procedural technique for machines is simply being a human being. And more and more of what is valuable and what is rare will be about that, being a human being, being there for other people, truly seeing them and hearing them and listening to them, and understanding their experiences as a fellow human being, which AI you know, can't do. It can, it can pretend to do it really well, enough, well enough to fool you. But if you know that it's an AI, something is missing. Um, more and more of the economy and more and more of work will be about that. And then look, do you end up in a place where you have also some form of universal basic income that liberates people from what we tradition call traditional work at the moment so they can do forms of kind of care work and being there for one another and being there for their family? Again, <laughs> huge avenues to explore. I don't know the answer to lots of those questions. I know they're questions, and that's the, that's the most important thing right now. You know, these are questions that most people still are not asking. But we as exponentialists and people in the exponentialist community, we are asking them and we're going to go on a journey to try to figure out some answers. Uh, are there any books that you, you can recommend? Oh, there's so many books that I can recommend. In fact, what I might do um, for members of the exponentialist is write an exponentialist reading list, a fun reading list, you know, 10 books, to help you navigate the exponential age, 10 books that have really shaped my thinking on the exponential age. I mean, Homo Deus, uh, Yuval Harari's book back in, I think, 2015, is, a prof is, is such a compelling model of what is coming. I have to say that there, you know, I don't agree with some of his conclusions. And again, I'll, I'm sure I'll be writing about that. But if you if you want one book to go and give you a taste of the scale of change that's coming and that's really compelling, really well argued by someone super, super smart, go and check out um, Homo Deus. That, that's a recommendation from me. Now, let me see. We're going to have to wind up soon. I've only got five minutes left. I just want to handle one or two more questions. If... I don't get to your question today, please do drop me a line on the platform 
and I'd be delighted to answer the question in writing. And then, of course, you know, my conversations with Raoul are coming up. There'll be future Ask Me Anythings. I hope there's all kinds of ways you'll be able to get to me. Um, and the, the community on the platform is coming too. And then you can chat with me in real time there. We can all talk to one another. Uh, this might be a fun one to end on. Maura Clark, are we as humans in for a massive existential crisis? This is a great, <laughs> this is a great one to end on. Um, because it gets to the heart of what we as exponentialists believe. Marshall McLuhan, who was a media theorist and technology theorist, said something that I just think is so profoundly important for all of us to understand. And it's, it's something that I think about almost every day because of the kind of work I do. He said, and he was speaking in the 1960s, uh, and he was very prescient about the rise of digital technologies and the internet and things like that. And he was writing about that at that time. He, he coined the phrase, as many of you, of course, know, the global village. Uh, and he said, when you talk about emerging technologies and when you talk about the future they're going to build, most people will mistake you for saying, and that is what I think should happen. And this is the world I think we should build the things these technologies are going to do are all things I think are great and amazing. And this is the future we should proceed towards. Um, and that simply isn't the case. I, you know, when I talk about the exponential age and I talk about these technologies, look, <clears throat> I am in many ways a technology optimist. I think technology does incredible things for us as human beings, for us collectively. It's taking us an, on an incredible journey. I am beyond excited to be alive at this moment. I think the privilege that we have to be alive right now is just so deep when you think about it historically and the experience of most other human beings. You know, we are going to see an incredible wave of technology fueled change. It really will be like nothing else. And we have not a ringside seat. We're in the ring. It's going to happen to all of us. So yes, there's a huge part of me that's just thrilled by that and fascinated by that. But does it pose deep challenges to us as human beings and deep challenges to the human collective? Yes, absolutely. You know, sometimes I'll give a talk at an organization or, you know, and, and someone will put their hand up at the end and say, but, you know, doesn't this pose deep challenges? You know, how can you talk about this? It's going to be challenging. It's going to threaten what it means to be a human being or it's going to cause huge waves of you know redundancies it's going to change and challenge the nature of human creativity all of that is true too absolutely that is true are we heading to an ex existential crisis i don't think it i i don't think it has to be an existential crisis I think with my historian's hat on, what will happen is that we human beings will adapt. We will, as the British say, muddle through. But some kind of convulsion could be coming for sure in the decades ahead. It's not going to be easy because weathering this kind of profound change can't be easy and is never easy. But we've had these kinds of periods of profound change before. If you look at the birth of modernity, if you look at the first and second industrial revolution, we adapt, we find ways to change, 
um, and we find ways to draw the best out of the technologies that surround us. But that is going to be a journey. And that's why the Exponentialist was built, because there is huge potential. There's huge potential, look, to capture value, of course, but also to grow as human beings and to grow as a the human collective. But there are deep challenges, too. And, you know, there's so much more I can say, but that journey and that challenge is what the exponentialist is all about. Figuring out what it all means for us is what the exponentialist is all about. OK, I'm looking at the clock and my hour is more or less up. I have so enjoyed speaking to you and answering your questions in this first Ask Me Anything. So thank you so much for tuning in. As I said at the top of the show, of course, a special super thanks to those of you who've already joined The Exponentialist. You're going to see my conversation with Rao in a week. Um, you're going to see next month's essay. It's already barreling down the track at us. You're going to see the portfolio coming from Julian and Rao soon. And we're just going to go on this incredible journey of understanding and discovery together. Um, we can challenge one another. We can learn from one another. And as we build over time, we're just going to build deep understanding of what is happening around us and what it means for all of us. But that is enough from me for the first ever ex Exponentialist Ask Me Anything. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and I'll see you all again soon.